Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with my co-host Derek Sue and our special guest, David Vorick of Saya. David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, great to be here. Awesome. Let's start high level. Any any big announcement, but let's sort of ease into it a bit. Can you sort of, you know, not that many people have you know been into mining for as long as you have and have delved uh, as deep from a variety of different perspectives. Can you sort of give a, a little oral history? of how you've uh, played in the space and how your opinions have evolved leading up to this, uh, this, this announcement. Yeah. So I think started really looking into proof of work in, from like a theoretical perspective in 2013 and 2014. Um, this is back in the days before most of the altcoin boom. So I was looking at, at it really from a like Bitcoin perspective. And this is when back to a lot of the Bitcoin core devs, Proof of stake was more interesting and seen as a potential, you know, alternative to proof of work. And so really took took a deep dive to understand what what is it about proof of work that's special and what what is it that other systems would need to capture in order to replicate what we get from proof of work. And, you know, back then the answer seemed to be actually this like non-reusability of an expensive resource. So in the proof of work case, it's it's mostly electricity and capital expenditure. And so, you know, early on I got this understanding or this notion that decentralized consensus can be formed in a really strong way when you provably use a resource in a way that it can't be reused. And so, you know, the word waste gets thrown around, which of course it's not wasteful. We're doing, we're doing, we're building consensus with it. And so to that extent, it's valuable. But what really makes it able to build consensus is that we know we can't take that same work that we did and reuse it to build an alternate history. Um, and so that's, that's really, as we started to understand that better, I think that's when I started losing interest in proof of stake systems and other, other sorts of alternatives. Um, and I just sort of, at, at that point, stopped there and accepted that like proof of work is really great. But then as the ASIC ecosystem started to mature, when we started having a lot more problems with Bitmain being you know mon- monopolistic and somewhat parasitic, it started to dive deeper and look at you know the asymmetries of the actual proof of work ecosystem itself and start to ask like what you know what does it take to make a proof of work chip? Who has you know the power who can who can make? proof of work happen who can do the most hashes and how cheaply and what do we need to do to balance the the playing field so i think in 2016 in 2017 especially we saw this like huge bitmain dominance where it seemed like there's one company that can do proof of work better than everyone else but this was clearly not ideal um, and i think you saw a lot of that in the altcoin ecosystem this big theme of asic resistant emerge and so while i'm personally don't think that asic resistance is the right thing to do it's very easy to see where that movement came from and why why people like ASIC resistance uh, when you look at companies like Bitmain and Silicon, it makes sense that people would want to resist that because it didn't seem super great for the ecosystem. So I wanted to understand that world a lot better. And also for Saya, we wanted to protect Saya from the fate that had been that had we ourselves get into we can make you know we can we can get to a better place than a lot of where a lot of these other coins have ended up and so while we didn't achieve that in the way that we had hoped uh we did learn and so i think that's that's a lot about you know what i can talk about today david thanks for uh chatting with us a few weeks ago you said that Saya was considering going forward with the proof of work change. Has there been any updates on that front? Yeah. So in January, Bitmain announced that it had made ASICs for the Saya network. And beyond beyond just announcing that it was producing ASICs, it basically Bitmain said, you know, that ASICs are done. 
were coming to market. And this caused a lot of chaos in the SIA community because there had been a public um, building ASICs for the SIA network. Bitmain's introduction of ASICs, you know, kind of a surprise attack, um, was seen by much of the community as exactly that, a surprise attack on the community that really threatened the viability and the profitability of this community. And so while at the time, a lot of people wanted to fork, including myself, I felt that a fork was the correct thing to do. The community was super divided over the issue. And so we felt as the dev team that we couldn't put out fork code because we knew that that would likely split the community in two. We would see a Saya and a Saya Classic and there would probably be a lot of bitter emotion between them. And we feared that our community would be ripped in half by something like putting out a fork code or, or having the dev team decide that we we're going to work on a fork. And so even though we had the majority behind us, you know, we can't force the minority to come with us. And we wanted we wanted to keep the community together. So we did not put out a fork. Since then, there have been, I guess, just things have cooled off. Things have settled down. A lot of the bitterness and a lot of the initial just heat of the situation has disappeared and the community someone from the community put forward a fork proposal suggesting that we do brick the bitmain and InnoSilicon asics on the network we let the community asic project have its profitability i mean really we sit we take sort of a punitive measure against bitmain and InnoSilicon for doing what we perceive as an attack and unlike the first time around in january the fork proposal that came forward from the community was met with an enormous amount of resistance and i would say a lot of bitterness there was a lot of bitterness on both sides this time around when the community fork proposal came forward there was a lot of endorsement there was very little resistance and it seemed you know, more level-headed. I mean, so now we feel comfortable as a dev team putting forward fork code and essentially committing to develop a forked version of SIA with an alternate proof-of-work history. And we believe that we will be able to do this without ripping the SIA community in half. Um, and so we think, and even if there is, you know, a SIA classic that splits off, we believe that we will be able to maintain a good relationship with SIA Classic and that we will be able to exist as two two different networks that are working together towards a common goal, even if we disagree on certain points. Um, and so this time around, we feel a lot more confident and we do, we do feel that a fork is the right thing to do, especially because we know we can do a fork in what we feel is a decentralized way, which is to say, if there are people who don't want the fork, they can band together and sort of reject the fork, they can go off on their own network and still experience all the benefits of the SIA network. So yeah, so we are, we have decided to release hard fork code and we have committed to, you know, the binaries that we distribute on our website, the, you know, we'll be calling up exchanges, asking them to upgrade. We will be doing what we can to get the SIA network to embrace this hard fork upgrade. And we believe that, that it will be relatively smooth. And so that's, that's sort of the big news this week for the Sci Network. Gotcha. That's super interesting. And what sort of what what do you think sort of precipitated this change in attitude among the Sci community between January and now? Or now? Uh, was it something that happened in the macro landscape? Was the Sci community starting to finally starting to feel the effects of these InnoSilicon and, and Bitmain Asics? Like, what sort of factors would you say affected this? Yeah, I would say it was a combination of things. One of the big things is that, you know, one of the standing accusations was that Bitmain had been mining in secret since November. And one of the big defenses was like, well, you know, Bitmain hasn't done anything bad yet. We should give them a chance. And, and the, you know, one of the standing accusations was they made way more hardware that a SCI network can support. We don't know that their machines will be worthless. That's just a rumor. Um, and it's a suspicion based on past stuff the past, you know, ASICs they've released for other networks. But we don't actually know that they've gone and flooded the network, and so we should give them a chance. And since, you know, since that defense, we have seen blockchain-based evidence that was produced by one of the community members that Bitmain had, in fact, been mining secretly on SIA since November. So we do have concrete blockchain proof of that. And then... It also became very obvious that more ASICs had been produced than could possibly be profitable. I believe that most most of the people who bought an A3, unless they bought on the very first day, 
essentially operated them at a loss, so they lost money. And then same thing is true for much of the InnoSilicon miners. Many people who bought an InnoSilicon miner are not ever going to ROI on the miners. Another thing that's happened is that InnoSilicon today is mining 37.5% of the SIA hash rate to a single address. And so it's not even like one, one large mining pool to be worried about. It's a single mining farm, all mining to one address. And that doesn't feel decentralized. It also creates a lot of perverse incentives for InnoSilicon. They don't, it's, it's against their interest to sell more hash rate because that, that will reduce the profitability of their own mining pool. And so this and just and just a general calming down uh, of the community, I think that a lot of the gut reaction to, oh, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't break these manufacturers has has calmed down. And now that now that we've seen more of the long term effects of, you know, what's happening to this high community, we're more okay with the fork. I think another big thing that happened is that a lot of the Sci community kind of grew disinterested and left the community and interestingly enough the people who left you know most most often were the people who were in opposition of the fork um, and so i think that just the general the general pessimism that fell over the sci community for the for a couple of months like it the it drove people away and it drove a lot of the anti-fork opposition away and so now we're you know we're in a place where we're ready to do the reset ready to I think really like take a stance against the abuses of the existing manufacturing giants for ASICs and say like, you know, a network is not, it's not free rewards for you. We, you know, the network is paying these heavy block rewards for defense, for security, because we have a goal that we want. And that goal is security. And right now we don't feel like the way that ASICs are uh, ASIC manufacturers are conducting business is actually optimally conducive to the network security and and they are being essentially bad servants um, and so we're essentially firing this round of servants um, putting in obelisk as a temporary monopoly with the understanding that obelisk technology is not the most recent not the most up to date so obelisk will pro- probably be replaced in relatively short order but we're we've set a bar and it says like, if you commit too much abuse, we will fight back and we will brick, you know, tens of millions of dollars of hardware that we never, you know, we never wanted, never gave permission about. And there is a line that you can cross. And we hope that it sort of sets a tone to manufacturers, not just for the SIA community, but for the ASIC community or for the crypto community as a whole, that manufacturers need to like, remember that they are servants and remember that they provide a very valuable service to the network, but that the network can ultimately choose to reject that service if it's provided in a unsavory way. That's a, that's a really thorough answer. Makes makes a lot of sense that there's been a lot of changes um, since January. One interesting thing you mentioned was that InnoSilicon was, was mining 37% of the SciHash rate, all to one address. That's a stunningly high number. It was my understanding that manufacturers don't necessarily self-mine that much. Like they'll sell a pretty large portion of the machines so they can get cash up front and de-risk their operations. Did that not happen with some of the SIA miners? So what we saw with InnoSilicon and what we've seen actually many times with manufacturers is that but InnoSilicon by far is the worst defender of this pattern initially InnoSilicon i believe was selling machines for between $7,000 and $10,000 each machines that we understand today have a manufacturing cost of between like $600 and $800 we guess these aren't the their manufacturing costs aren't known or published but we're guessing it's somewhere between 600 and 800 bucks what that means is that when they pre-sold their machines at 10,000 each they had so much margin on these machines that they could go and make seven more for themselves. And so really what probably happened was they pocketed most of that uh, as profit. And then they took a big chunk of the rest of that to make more machines so that they essentially got, you know, a free 37% of the hash rate. And we've seen this with Bitmain as well, the S9, the S7 and previous products were at launch were sold at these 
extremely high markups, um, I would say unsustainable. And because nobody can tell how many are being put into circulation, you know, if, if InnoSilicon had only sold 2,000 of their machines for $10,000, it would have been a good buy. But in reality, you know, they sold something more like 20,000. And so that meant that meant it was not a good buy and the InnoSilicon walked away with a ton of cash and the difficulty went way up. But yeah, I think that I think that generally manufacturers do at least some self-mining. We know that Bitmain from their published numbers was mining Bitcoin, I believe Zcash, and I believe one other coin. Uh, I want to say Ethereum. But I think I think it is pretty common for ASIC manufacturers to self-mine. And the reason is because there's this big asymmetry in costs. Anyone else who has anyone who wants to enter the mining game has to get hardware from a manufacturer. If the manufacturer is putting large markup on it, the manufacturer is inherently much more competitive at mining than everyone else. But we believe that this creates a negative incentive for the ecosystem. If you want as high security as possible, you want as much hash rate sold as possible. So we we definitely think it's better if manufacturers don't self-mine. But in the case of InnoSilicon, that's definitely not what we're seeing. Uh, David, you, you mentioned that you want this to be a, um, a lesson to other 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 blockchains. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious what the lesson is exactly in the sense of, you know, a few months ago, you weren't planning on, on, on doing this hard work. And, and maybe there's a world in which in which you, you know, you wouldn't have. When should other, you know, uh, other projects think about, you know, when, when, like, what's the filter that they should apply, whether they should do take the path that you've taken? Yeah, so unfortunately, I don't think it's very cut, cut and dry. And the reason is because we're trying to build decentralized systems. And if you put down a very clean set of rules, you have to have someone who can decide when the rules have been violated and who can push forward a hard fork. So unfortunately, I don't advocate for setting a like clear set of guidelines and saying, if these guidelines get violated, we're going to hard fork. Just because I think that puts either the dev team or who, whoever the watchdog is that those guidelines are being following being followed I think that gives them too much power and it sort of hurts decentralization but i think in the general context of communities and discussions you know in in the blog post that we put out we released essentially a list of things that we would like to see or, or things that indicate more health or less health I and mean, i think that Communities discussing whether or not they should keep the current ASIC monopoly or, or take steps, you know, proactive steps to reject their ASIC monopoly. You know, I, I think that we have guidelines that they can use. Um, but really, I think it for communities, it comes down to have the have the incumbent miners done enough damage that we should do this big political push um, that potentially threatens decentralization to kick them out. And I think in Saya's case, we did hit the line where it's like, yes, we're willing to do a big political push, but it's not something that we want to systemize. We want, if we push out ASIC manufacturers in the future, we want it to have to be the sort of political struggle because I think that the political struggle indicates a healthy amount of decentralization. Have you ever spoken to to anyone at Bitmain as relates to any of this? I'm just curious, broadly, like reading your piece, it's sort of there's a sort of an undertone of like sort of like this is war, and we're like we're we're fighting, you know, for for our rights, so to speak. And like I, I like for some reason, I was envisioning like Tupac, Biggie, you know, East Coast, West Coast. But like, do, do you get the sense that like this is war or like guerrilla warfare in some sense? Because you, you you can't you haven't maybe you haven't spoken to them. Or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. In some ways, it does feel like war which I think is unfortunate. You know, I don't want this adversarial relationship to the manufacturers. At the end of the day, what they're really trying to do is make as much money as possible. And in, in many ways, we think that that's beneficial. The drive to make a ton of money is why you know, Bitcoin ASICs are already at 7 nanometers as opposed to still at 16 or 28. So I think, I think that drive has a lot of benefits. Really, we're trying to make sure that there are checks and balances on the greed and that if the greed starts to bleed over and become damaging to the network that it's supposed to be serving, um, that we can put a check in place. And I think that a lot of the ASIC manufacturers this year, 2018, have been burned by forays into altcoin ASIC production. And I think, I think that we keep doing things like this manufacturers will realize it's not in their best interest to be you know as as short-sighted like short-term blindly greedy as possible they realize that they have 
a broader context in which their role is valuable. And so I, I am hoping that, you know, the likes of Bitmain and InnoSilicon start to realize like more the purpose that mining exists and and what role it's supposed to fill, fulfill. To answer your question about have I spoken to them, we've had trouble speaking to anyone relevant at Bitmain. So we've talked talked to some of their customer support representatives and other easy to access people, but we've had a difficult time getting them to agree to sit down with us in any context. Just to talk about mining, InnoSilicon's a little bit different. We have talked to InnoSilicon, including some of the executives, several times. And generally, my opinion of InnoSilicon is that they don't get it. They're very much... Talking to them a lot of times feels like talking to salesmen. They like to talk about how they have solutions that they present to a network. But I just felt this big disconnect where they didn't really understand what a cryptocurrency community hopes to get out of, you know, an ASIC manufacturer. And we've tried, we've tried multiple times to take the conversation further, but so far it's been relatively unsuccessful. Oh, just real quick. I, I, Dave, I know you said you haven't talked to the executives there. And, and so just because I just want to say, I have a surprise for you. Jihan Wu is on the lot. No, I'm just kidding. But this would, it would be funny. <laughs> this was the Maury show of Maury show of, Bic, of crypto. But if, if they were here, what, what would be sort of the succinct summary? Like, what do you want them to understand that they don't yet fully understand in your opinion? You, you said a little bit about in a silicon, maybe, maybe add more to that. Yeah, I think that what we really want is to see an environment where it's easy for as many manufacturers as possible to thrive. We want to know that as many mining farms as possible are buying hardware and have access to hardware. We want to know that the hardware is as easy as possible to run, to maintain, to operate, to repair. We want there to be you know, lots of independent shops that can do repairs. We want there to be many you know, independent suppliers of the chips themselves. And all of these things work against the trenches of the hardware world. And in hardware, you know, you build your moat and you build your profit by making chips and IP that no one else has access to. If you control, you know, the IP around the machines, then no one else can repair. If people need to repair things, they have to come to you. Um, And so the, the core culture of the hardware ecosystem is very much at odds with the core culture of the blockchain ecosystem. And so I think, you know, if I if I got to press something into the hardware world and this, and specifically the the people targeting making mining ASICs, it would be that the things that we want are very open and unfortunately very radically different from how the hardware industry tends to operate and that the the miners and the manufacturers that we are going to prefer as a cryptocurrency community are going to be the ones who sort of cut against the grain the strongest. So David, the this hard fork, it's supposed to invalidate the Bitmain and InnoSilicon ASICs while allowing the Obelisk ASICs to still work. How would you sort of respond to critics who say that this is an unfair, there's like a conflict of interest, this is something that is like screwing a certain portion of, of the retail buyers who, who bought the machines over. How would you sort of address that? Yeah, so I think that to you know confront the conflict of interest, it's unfortunate that there's no way around that. The obelisk entity of which I am CEO does benefit financially from this situation. It is a temporary thing, and I do think it's actually regrettable. I think in hindsight, it would have been better to instead of me being directly involved with obelisks, have some independent entity go and, and operate obelisks so this conflict of interest was not so strong. But I think that we have done our best to evaluate things from an unbiased perspective. Um, and I think that there's a lot of concrete evidence that Bitmain and InnoSilicon have acted unfavorably and also that obelisk is doing everything it can to be more friendly to cryptocurrency communities. So yeah, I, I think there's not a whole ton that we can do beyond that just because the because the conflict of interest is there. But I do know that in the future, you know, we welcome other manufacturers and especially we would like to work with more manufacturers who are pro decentralization, pro open source, pro, you know, just getting information and, and mining secrets out into the wild. Um, we'd like to see more than that. A follow up question would be like, 
down the line, let's say in six to 12 months or in a year or two, and you guys are looking at the Sidecoin mining ecosystem, what would have to happen for you guys to say, okay, this is a sort of competitive, healthy mining ecosystem, and what would it look like on the contrary for you guys to decide to fork again, hard fork again? Because I know that's potentially another an option for the future. Yeah, so I laid this out a lot more in the blog post, but we actually believe that until you're at Bitcoin scale, you will end up with an ASIC monopoly. So we don't forecast a very competitive environment, or if it is competitive, it'll be competition in the sense that hardware manufacturers come out with new products that obsolete their competitors. Um, and so I think we'll see like a cycle of obsolescence occur within the SIA community. But I don't think at any point in the near future, just owing to our size and the, and the market cap of the coin, I don't think we're going to see a situation where there are like four or five chip manufacturers who are all selling chips just because the the financials don't make sense. The only way to be a profitable chip manufacturer on the Sci network is if you're a monopoly. And that that is just purely owed to the extremely high startup costs of manufacturing a chip at all. So rather than focus on whether or not we have an a monopoly. We're basically saying, okay, well, we we accept that a monopoly is probably inevitable. It looks like the economics work out that we're going to have a monopoly. Instead, we're going to look at things like, is this monopoly one that is acting in good faith, acting to benefit the SIA network? And so some of the big things that we would want to see are everything open source as possible. The firmware should be open source. If we can, the PCB schematics should be open source. We'd love to see the chip designs be open source. And again, that shouldn't be too threatening to the incumbent monopoly because open source chip designs don't get you chips. You have to pay several million dollars for tape out. And as a newcomer to a market that is already saturated with ASICs, if you're making some of the same chip, even if you know how to make them 20 or 30% cheaper, you're not going to have enough profit or margin on your miners to make back that several million dollars. So I think that you know we can push for open source chip designs and that won't threaten the incumbent monopoly. But other things, we really don't want to see manufacturers self-mine. We want to know that the manufacturer is incentivized to sell as much hardware as possible into the market because then the difficulty is higher and the overall security threshold is higher. If they're not self-mining, they don't have this counter-incentive against selling more hardware. Their whole profit comes from selling more hardware, so they're always going to be selling as much as they can. I want to touch on this open-source ASIC and, and chip design idea you, you just mentioned. Can you describe what that, from a high level, what that looks like? Because from my understanding, it would it, it wouldn't be all that helpful to most people because a lot of the relationships with some of the key players like the foundries and like getting access to like competitive prices or competitive timelines like those are still proprietary relationships that simply having a a design wouldn't really help yeah so in many senses that's true in many other senses, that's not true. Um, so if you're starting completely from scratch and you want to enter the hardware business, you do have a, a tall ladder to climb. You do need relationships and you do need an understanding of the, I guess, the the social environment that the hardware space is. However, there are many ASIC manufacturers already, cryptocurrency ASIC manufacturers already, and there are also far, far many more players in the hardware space who have all the connections they need to be able to make a cryptocurrency ASIC. And so at least initially, the open source designs don't help so much, you know, the random mining farm as much as they do other people who look at wanting to come into the ASIC space, uh, or sorry, into from from the ASIC space, come into cryptocurrency ASICs. And so there are a lot of techniques that are required for cryptocurrency mining that are very different from traditional chip design. Cryptocurrency mining is much simpler. The chips are, are substantially simpler. And that means that the typical design methodologies, which tend to target managing complexity and being super nimble, being able to change the shape of your design from generation to generation to fit a very dynamic very dynamic use case and, and the world is constantly shifting and what you know what people want chips for is constantly shifting. In cryptocurrency, 
you know, a SHA-2 chip is always a SHA-2 chip. There's, there's no need for this flexibility and there's no need for this high, you know, complexity management. Um, that just means that it's a very different, even, you know, it's a space that, say, Intel would have trouble moving into because it's very different from the things that Intel's used to competing. So when we talk about open sourcing ASIC design, what we really want to see is a lot of this knowledge get put out there so that other other people in the hardware space looking at the cryptocurrency industry can move in easily and don't fall into many of the same traps that we've seen the likes of, say, GMO fall into. Um, just believing that, you know, you can come in and it'll be easy. You're one of the best chip teams. And so you can, you know, you can be a boss in the space uh, without realizing that the space is, is very different. What are some of the, um, like, more general purpose hardware people that could potentially get into cryptocurrency to sp- the, into the cryptocurrency space if, if it gets big enough like are you talking about guys like Nvidia and AMD or is it players more similar to GMO I definitely think that someone like Nvidia would have a much better time moving in the more work you do at the foundry level and then in particular the more work you do at the analog level will make it easier for you to move into cryptocurrency I don't know actually which which hardware companies in the long run are going to be focused on cryptocurrency chips. I sort of suspect that the existing major players like uh, Intel, NVIDIA, AMD will probably never move in because the space is so different from what they currently do. But people who make things like DDR chips, you know, you know, RAM, um, or people who do networking interfaces or people who do Wi-Fi chips, that's all a world where performance matters a lot more, where optimizing over a single metric matters a lot more, where the where the chip you design, the use case you're trying to hit doesn't change as rapidly. So it's companies that do stuff like that that I would expect to be more able to move into the cryptocurrency space. But I'm wondering if that ship hasn't already sailed and if, you know, the the people who really dominate the cryptocurrency space are going to be, you know, the bit names, the what's miners, the world who basically got their start in cryptocurrency who know it better than everyone else um, and and just iterate on that moat. Gotcha. That makes sense. Can you walk us through what the hard fork process looks like? Obviously, it's probably not a small undertaking. It requires some coordination. Um, Do you have to talk to exchanges, wallets, other ancillary like providers and services? Yeah. So, Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to release two versions at the same time. Uh, We're going to release 1.3.5, which has all the updates we've been working on over the past few months. And then we're also going to release 1.3.6, which has all the updates that we've been working on over the past few months and also the hard fork. And the reason we're doing this is to create you know, this clear, this clear choice, you don't have to pick the hard fork to get all the most recent features. However, we're going to put 1.3.6 on our website, we're going to put the hard fork code as the code that we, you know, publish and endorse and strongly encourage. And then we are going to have to private message, email, get on the phone, um, just just go through and contact every major service and player in the SIA ecosystem. And so that's going to be, you know, third-party wallet services. It's going to be a guy who makes the Android app. There's going to be more than 20 exchanges uh, we're going to have to reach out to and talk them through the upgrade, probably provide some technical support. That's going to be, you know, all the explorers and stats websites. If I didn't mention it already, all the mining pools. And then, of course, just the blasting the community as a whole, making sure everyone knows that this relatively short-term hard fork's coming up. So I think there is going to be a lot of... It's not a typical just release an update and wait for people to upgrade. We're going to have to gonna have to be very proactive about putting it out there. Uh, is Sai going to take the opportunity to, to put in like other changes that re- require a hard fork? Or is, it, or is this simply addressing the proof-of-work problem? Yeah, so we believe in general, that you should not bundle hard fork changes together because that just creates more points of contention. If we're trying to get people... Because remember, we can't force anyone to upgrade. Um, we, aren't, we aren't the dictators of a network who decide what code everybody runs. They have to accept or reject the code. Um, and, and in this case, they have to proactively decide to upgrade to 1.3.6. They decide to stay on their existing software. We can't 
we can't convince them to like we we have no way to force their hand and so we want to make sure that there's as little controversy as possible uh, every additional change that you introduce on top of something that's politically very important is a place where someone can say like oh that's too much i i don't want to go along with that um and so i i do think that if you're going to do these hard fork changes in a decentralized way you should be doing them one change at a time and ideally you know not too many of them i think you know most time most of the time when coins look at doing a hard fork upgrade to fix something a good example would be like the off by one multi-sig error in bitcoin really you could just leave the bug in there you could just leave that you know annoying corner in there and work around it and i think that for the most part it's healthier to have these quirks in your system than it is to be constantly pushing these hard fork changes because i think it really does i think hard forks really do like harm decentralization and it's something that we don't want to be doing regularly we want to be doing as little of that as possible i mean it's only when we think something super crucial has to happen that we push for a hard fork I really like your your point about not bundling together different changes in hard forks it sort of reminds me of when congressmen write these super long bills they'll slip in all these small things as part of it like if they're writing like a healthcare bill they'll slip in something related to like funding some new like some new infrastructure in their own in their own section of the in their own like representative section reminds me a bit of that which yeah totally um david before we sort of zoom out to um you know broader broader areas in mining uh, i just want to ask you to sort of you know restate or resummarize perhaps the lesson that you want pe- people to take from this because a lot of people and a lot of projects sort of look to you as as both a leader in the space but also pe- you know someone who helps contextualize and, and make sense of what's happening in, in real time. So can you sort of resummarize what you want people and projects to take from, from this change and from your evolution, how you've been thinking about it? Yeah, I think the lesson would be that we do, we do believe that ASICs are the best way forward. They're the best way for a coin to secure itself. But we also don't see that as like a blank slate ASIC manufacturers can do whatever they want, and it's still better than GPUs. We think that there is a line that you can cross, and that for our network, that line has been crossed. Um, and so, at some point, you know, you hit you hit a moment where it's worth taking action. And the Sia network, despite generally being in favor of ASICs, has hit the point of taking action. How, how do you expect them to respond, if at all? The manufacturers? Yeah. I'm not sure. We certainly expect a substantial amount of resistance. There's a non-trivial amount of money on the line for, for the manufacturers. We expect, you know, in January, what happened when we started talking about a fork was a lot of usernames and account handles and, you know, just people we'd never seen before showed up and started saying some very vocal, some very strong things, uh, accounts with, you know, two comments of post history and and stuff like that. So we wouldn't be surprised to see more of that. Um, we do expect after you know the announcement hits hits mainstream, we do expect a lot of resistance to come in and we expect a lot of that to be sourced from either the manufacturers or the mining farms themselves. But we don't know what exact shape it's going to take. It's really out of their hands, um, we've constructed the SIA protocol so that manufacturers don't have much power besides the ability to double spend. And so there's not there's not much they can do to stop this. If people decide to upgrade to this new fork, then you know that's it. The, the manufacturers have been made obsolete. So uh, we do expect some political resistance and and you know news articles and and the like. But we're ready for it. So, David, moving on to more general mining discussion, um, there's been a lot of drama recently in the Bitcoin mining ecosystem. Bitmain announced their IPO, and it should be like on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange in a few months. Um, eBay, Kanan, also similar as well. And these firms have also all announced new Bitcoin ASICs. So, like, what's Miner, Avalon, Bitmain? What are your thoughts on these up these new updates and the, the ecosystem as a whole? 
Yeah, so I'm pretty excited. I think that it's a sign of health for the Bitcoin ecosystem. I believe that Bitcoin has crossed into a threshold where it's big enough. Um, the block reward now is multiple billions of dollars per year. And with you know that much opportunity, there is room for many big players to come in and spend tens of millions of dollars on R&D, tens of millions of dollars coming to market with a product, and then have a reasonable expectation of making money, even if there are other competitors at market trying to, you know, cut into their margins. Um, and so I, I do think that, you know, all these new miners should be seen as a good thing. And sure, you know, I, I expect some of them will lose money, especially the less efficient miners that have come to market. However, I think that as far as, you know, at the actual chip level, I think it's a sign of diversity that is probably here to stay. And so I think that we should be celebrating that, you know, three companies are big enough to go an IPO. IPO will give them enough cash to do the next generation of chips, even if the current generation flops. Um, and I think we can expect that going forward, you're not going to see a situation he did in 2017 with Bitcoin, where one, you know, one manufacturer owns all the hardware and can start to push political motives and, and sort of be malignant. That's going to be held in check by other manufacturers that are at market and, and not just at market, but competitively at market. So, so during the last crypto drawdown slash bear market in 2014-2015, one of the reasons Bitmain emerged as sort of the, the monopoly out of that is because they not only had a, way more capital than anyone, but the S9 was like a really, sorry, the S, I believe S7 was a really great machine for its time that was probably much better than its peers. It seems like that's not really the case now. So things might turn out differently. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. One of the reasons that Bitmain was so dominant in you know 2015 forward was because the S7 was an amazing machine. It was astounding at how good the S7 was. And then when the S9 came out, it was just down, downright untouchable. And so people tried for years and through all of 2016 and all of 2017, not for lack of trying, nobody was able to come up with a machine that was as good as the S9. But I think now the ecosystem has matured a lot more. We're starting to understand, you know, the the ASIC industry as a whole is has a very digital mindset for the most part, because digital is what is super successful in the broader, you know, GPU, CPU, networking card world of chip design and manufacture. But in Bitcoin, analog rules supreme, and people started to realize the reason the S9 is untouchable isn't because they have a unique architecture for their chip, it's because they did so much analog work and analog optimization that they were able to get ahead and be and be untouchable. And so I think now, now that people realize that, um, just like any other engineering problem, if you know the methodologies that you need to use to compete, Anybody can come in with a strong team of engineers and grab some very smart, you know, ASIC designers and start to run that strategy. And so I think that's what we're seeing from, you know, what's minor, eBang, InnoSilic, and they understand all the tricks that Bitmain used to make the S9 what it was. And now many people are able to run that playbook. Another interesting article recently mentioned, talked about Byteway and what's minor and how the founder of, of that company, I forget his name, but he was an ex-lead engineer at Bitmain. And he, his, him leaving in 2016 was one of the reasons that Bitmain has sort of fallen behind these newer companies. Is there any, do you think there's any truth to that? Or Yes, I do. I do think there's a truth to that. If I, I, I believe that it was Byteway's team that made the S7 and the S9. And so for them to leave Bitmain, that's why, you know, in two years, we didn't see a better chip out from Bitmain is that with, with their, essentially their core engineering talent gone, they didn't know how to recover from that. And just as nobody else could touch the S9, when Bitmain's S9 team left, Bitmain themselves didn't know how to touch the S9. Um, <laughs> and that's why it took them so long to have a you know, a seven nanometer chip that's competitive. Um, and so I would keep a close eye on Byteway in the future because I do consider them to be at least 
as of you know last year, the best team in the world, and the the miners that they're releasing are downright impressive. Uh, yeah, I think Bitmain was set back by losing them. Interesting. Yeah, because the the specs on some of the the Byteway What's Miner machines are definitely really impressive, and if they have enough capital and to to really effectively compete, then it'll be uh, definitely seems like they're a company to sort of keep their eye on. So as part of Bitmain's IPO, one of the narratives that they've been pushing is like, we're going to diversify into AI, not only because like this is an additional revenue stream, but also because like Bitcoin block rewards are going to go down in two years. What are your thoughts on like making this sort of transition into AI? Like, is it as simple as it sounds? Is it something that Bitmain can realistically achieve? I'm going to say on one hand, perhaps, and on the other hand, definitely not. So AI is another one of these worlds where the use case is super dynamic. You know, what what AI functions make sense? And what should we optimize a general purpose, you know, TPU style AI chip around? And the answer is, we don't really know that the use case is super dynamic. And so in that world, what really prevails is traditional methodologies and so where i would expect you know the most competitive players to be would be you know the intels the amds the nvidia's that's a world that bitmain doesn't come from and it's not part of their core dna so i wouldn't i wouldn't expect them to compete very well in like the general purpose ai chip market just because it's so different from what we do with bitcoin chips however if bitmain were to tackle say something super specific like facial recognition technology or text-to-speech, or speech-to-text. That's a part of machine learning where it's more settled on you know what types of algorithms you run, and maybe is more Bitcoin-style chips where we're focused. We're focused on a known problem. The algorithms are are basically solidified, and we just need to run them really fast. Um, so I think it's certainly an interesting move, and one that's probably premature. I believe from from what I've heard on the market. Their existing AI chips are not impressive and are not competitive. And so in general, I would say it's probably a bad move for them to bet very heavily on it until they've proven to themselves that they can do it well. But I could see if they focus on the right niches of AI, I could see Bitmain being competitive there. Gotcha. Another thing, when when, when Bitmain's sort of IPO documents were released, it, it got confirmed people's suspicions that they're... 14 and 10 nanometer tape outs failed. And as a result, I think they had to write down like a few hundred million. I want to say it was like three or 400 million. If the tape out itself is only supposed to cost like 20 or 30 million at most, why was it that such a large setback for them? So I haven't seen the docs specifically, but my guess would be a lot of that also included wafer orders. And they may have begun. So one of the tricks that we use in the Bitcoin world that you don't use anywhere else in the silicon industry is that you start making wafers immediately as you tape out. So basically, by the time that you have, and again, this is Bitcoin world only, by the time that you know whether or not your chip is a successful chip, you've printed perhaps as much as like you know, 20 or 50 or maybe in Bitmain's case, $300 million worth of these chips started or partially started, and it may be too late to bail on them. So my guess would be that they were, you know, consistent with Bitmain's history, they were being hyper aggressive, and they started full-fledged production before they had ever received a functioning chip. And when they got the functioning chip back, they realized that it either wasn't performing as well as they had hoped or it just had an error in it and they had to trash all the wafers that they started printing which typically you hold off on on beginning printing those wafers until you have your first physical chip back you can verify that you're not throwing a ton of money away i guess that's a uh, sort of a function of of time and just like being a few months ahead of the competitors being such a crucial element being in making profitable machines for sure so back to your the sort of the broader point you were making about Bitcoin mining getting healthier and much more competitive. I definitely definitely agree and, and see how that's a good thing and, and how that requires some scale on the on a specific cryptocurrency. 
But what are your thoughts on sort of the competitive dynamics of the foundries? So Global Foundries recently announced that they're stopping their cutting edge seven nanometer development. Um, they'll still be doing their, I, I forget if it's like 10 or 14, but they'll still, they'll still be doing their other ones. But basically it only really leaves two firms, Samsung and TSMC at this cutting edge of foundries. Do you think like only having two firms as part of this, in this part of this, the mining stack is, is a problem? Yes. I do see it as issue, and I see it as something that will be more of a problem if Bitcoin grows to be bigger relative to foundries annuals. But basically what's happening is as we get to the more progressed technologies, it costs more and more money and takes more and more expertise and global foundries just basically bit off more than they could chew when they went for seven nanometer. It's possible to think that, you know, four or eight years in the future, when we start to go to three nanometer or or even smaller, more foundries are going to step out. We may be left with like one foundry that can make cutting edge chips, which I, I think is is something you should be concerned about, especially if at that time Bitcoin's big enough that, you know, it it's sustaining, you know, a a third of revenue for that foundry. I don't know what the solution to that is, though, other than to continue to push for more of an open source hardware ecosystem, even at the foundry level. I do know that coming from the software background, the hardware world seems very constricted. It's so everybody's so secretive about everything they have and is so privatized. It's like every time, you know, any time that you want a library that does anything in software, you know, almost 100% of the time, someone else already made that. Um, you can just go and pull that library. In hardware, it's also the case that someone else probably made that. They're going to charge you eighty thousand dollars to use it, or they're going to charge you. You know, if it's more, it's a fancy. If it's a fancier piece of hardware, they're going to charge you a quarter million dollars just for the design files. And I think that that really hurts overall because that means all these super intelligent teams, instead of talking to each other and building, you know, large complex systems like we have in the software world. They each go and they build their own stuff over and over. And it's just, you know, if you have 20 teams, all 20 teams reinvent the wheel every single day. I think the same is the true at the foundry level. If we can open that up more, we might see a situation where you have more competitive foundries and where making foundries is cheaper. At the same time, that's something that Intel and TSMC and Samsung don't want to see because their moat is how they make money. If there are more people who can do what they do, what they do isn't as valuable. So I don't I don't know how we address that, but I do think that a big part of the problem stems from just the endemic closedness of the hardware ecosystem. And, and in, two, in two years, Bitmain's Bitcoin's sorry, Bitcoin's block reward is supposed to shift from twelve and a half to six point six six point two five. And it, it's probably likely that during that time there won't be like another proof of work coin that like gets within like a reasonable gets within like a close distance in terms of network value how do you think that'll affect the mining ecosystem like the companies the 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 providers when that happens yeah so i think that as long as you know any other cryptocurrency that comes forward is running a different algorithm than sha256 i think it just means more diversity I and mean, it means more opportunities for more companies to come in for example InnoSilicon did not get started by making a bitcoin miner obelisk did not get started by making a bitcoin miner I and mean, several of the other you know competitors who are new to the scene their opportunities came from these green fields these coins that were too small for bitmain to be paying attention to at the time or for you know whoever the incumbent was they were only paying a little bit of attention and so a focused team was able to take over a small coin and and gain traction and so i think sort of the same thing will happen i don't i don't think that this having for bitcoin is actually going to be that substantial i predict another sort of similar the price will probably probably jump and then even if it doesn't jump you know cutting Cutting a multi-billion dollar industry in half still ends up with a multi-billion dollar industry in Bitcoin's case. Um, so I think that all the momentum is going to still be there. Um, it'll be more interesting in like six or 10 years um, after several halvings to see 
how the Bitcoin industry is doing if transaction fees haven't taken over. But certainly, if other coins come up to Bitcoin's level, I think that they'll take with them new manufacturers and, and increase diversity in that. Overall, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point you brought up, that as some of these smaller coins get brought up um, and, and grow, the, they, they'll require specialization and like large manufacturers won't be able to focus on like all of them at once, which will open the door to to hope to hopefully more more competitors um, in the space. In terms of alternative like consensus mechanisms, what are your thoughts on like from a high level um, like proof of stake? And I guess the the the, the form the forefront of this would be like Ethereum and their eventual transition away from proof of work. How do you sort of envision that? whole um struggle playing out like i imagine there's going to be like hard forks involved like multiple chains like mining companies like that that have ethereum asics will probably create like ethereum cash or something like yeah so in general i don't believe that any of the the alternate consensus mechanisms i can compare with just vanilla proof of work i believe they all especially proof of stake i believe it has flaws um and so i'm pretty i would say i guess bearish on proof of stake as a whole and then things like proof of space again uh, i think time is a very difficult thing to or sorry proof of space time um, i think time is a very difficult thing to emulate and is fragile point in the proof of state space time idea and that I, I suspect that just plain proof of work, not having this fragile time component in it, will be more robust in the long term. I do believe, and we're actually already seeing this, that manufacturers will be super involved in the discussions. Ethereum, I believe, at one point, if it's if it if it no longer is, it was at one point, just like Bitcoin, worth more than a billion dollars a year to hardware players. And so, even like the discussion should Ethereum's switch to ProgPow, should we switch away from Ethash, uh, which is now ASIC mine, to ProgPow, something that props up GPUs again. We are seeing some very large mining farms getting super involved in the decision-making process and lobbying very hard in favor of ProgPow. And there's an, there's an obvious you know conflict of interest there. There's an obvious reason for them to be advocating for a switch to ProgPow. I could believe you, ProgPow... Uh, d- oh, David, sure. could you describe real quick what ProgPow is? Yeah. So ProgPow is a new proof-of-work algorithm, I believe, created by someone deeply involved in the GPU mining world or a team that's deeply involved in the GPU mining world. And the goal of ProgPow is to be... I guess, optimally ASIC resistant. The goal is to create an algorithm that's super GPU friendly. And they've taken a hardware developer's approach to doing this. Um, so, so far we've seen every ASIC resistant algorithm has eventually had ASICs. I believe ProgPow will be no different. But unlike previous ASIC resistant algorithms, which were made by software people, kind of imagining how hardware works and getting a lot of things wrong and then therefore getting defeated, ProgPow was made by hardware people who understand how hardware works. And they were like, if you want to make an algorithm that is GPU friendly, what you should do is you should make one that requires all the components that a GPU has. And so they made they structured ProgPow so it requires you know all the compute cores that a GPU has, the same caching structure, the same memory hierarchy. You know they they tried to emulate a GPU as much as possible in their algorithm. Um, and so certainly ProgPow, if there is going to be an ASIC resistant algorithm that's successful, ProgPow is much closer to that than anything else that's been tried before. And so there's a big discussion in the Ethereum community right now, which is should we switch the proof of work algorithm to continue to be ASIC resistant or should we just leave things at F hash? And, and I think largely, I could have it wrong because I haven't been paying super close attention, but I think largely the discussion was settled as, eh, we'll just let, we'll let ASICs come in. It seems like they're inevitable anyway. They've hit everyone else. But then after a bunch of lobbying by some of the GPU players, you know, the, it's back up for discussion. People are considering it again, especially because ProgPow is designed in a way that is unquestionably more robust to ASICs than any other uh, ASIC-resistant 
algorithm that's been tried so far. But my money is still on that if if Ethereum switches to ProgPow, I'm guessing there will be ProgPow ASICs that come out that are that are substantially better than GPUs. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think I haven't paid super close attention to ProgPow either, but it seems like that it would be sort of a short-term fix that and spending spending time thinking about that if you're an Ethereum like core developer sort of takes away from your ability to focus on like your greater vision at large, which I'm guessing is is Shasper, which will be hopefully rolled out in the next some t- at some some point. I've I think last last I heard was 2020. Do you have any other thoughts on some of the other altcoins that are experimenting with other resistant ASIC resistant algorithms? So like this could be like Monero, like they obviously hard forked six six months ago. They're still talking about hard forking in the future again, if more ASICs pop up. Um, do you have any other thoughts on sort of this topic as a whole? Yeah, I would say other than ProgPow, none of the other ASIC resistant algorithms I've seen put forward feel particularly ASIC resistant, especially now that I understand how chip design happens. Most of the people creating ASIC resistant algorithms are making assumptions about how hardware works that are just flat out wrong and that they would realize were wrong if they had a stronger uh, custom chip design background, but they but they don't. And so generally speaking, I would discourage coins from pursuing ASIC resistance, just choosing choosing the type of hardware that they want to see. They should pick an algorithm and then... Just understand that ASICs will pr- crop up around that algorithm that optimize that algorithm really, really well, um, and that they they should just leave it leave it at that. Even in the case of Monero, who's taking this you know super proactive, we're going to fork every six months, we're going to stay ahead of the hardware development curve and then make it so that people can't even create ASICs f- for us. Uh, we're seeing increasingly uh, chip designers l- looking at making flexible ASICs, and you know something that would say outperform a GPU by a factor of 5 or 10 for any range of algorithms. And what happens by when these coins take these big proactive stances against ASICs, all that happens is you drive the ASIC development underground. So now, you know, some of the projects that were talking about flexible ASICs publicly previously are now driven underground because they realize that if they release their flexible chip, algorithms designers will look at the chip and find something the chip's bad at and fork to break the chip, intentionally exploit something that the algorithm designers missed. However, if your flexible chip is never released to the public, coins can't introspect it. They can't look at it and figure out what it's unable to do, so they can't fork away from it, especially if they don't even know it's there, if it does a good job of hiding its existence. So, uh, in general, I think that the more that you resist ASICs, the more in the dark and the more flexible and the, the more difficult your opponent becomes. I mean, you may not even know that you have ASICs on your network in the future. So generally speaking, I would I would encourage everyone towards ASICs, not just, not just for the ASIC mining ecosystem and how adaptable ASICs are, but also because, you know, we've seen, I think it's over a dozen now, GPU mined coins get hit by 51% attacks, usually powered either by NiceHash or by a single very large mining farm that generally mines, you know, either Ethereum or Zcash, but for at least a few hours realized that they were powerful enough to 51% attack a smaller coin. That's sort of a plight that you just have perpetually as a GPU mined coin. As an ASIC mined coin, you know, a large Bitcoin farm can't point at your coin and 51% attack you because you have a different algorithm. Since it's not compatible, you don't have these big farms on other coins that can attack you. Uh, so I really do think that you know we've never seen uh, an independent ASIC mined coin get hit with a 51% attack, and I think that's because a lot of the incentives at play really favor that coin. And so I would I would encourage everyone to move towards ASICs. When you talked about flexible ASICs, is that basically FPGAs or, or programmable ASICs? Because obviously they were around in Bitcoin for a really short amount of time, but they they, they were like somewhat they were like mar- their marginal improvement over GPUs didn't really justify how expensive they were. Is that something that's different this time with some of these other other coins? 
Um, so no, I'm actually not talking about FPGAs. I'm talking about basically what I would call them is dumb GPUs. They're GPUs that are optimized to be more power efficient, that have that get rid of a lot of the arbitrary logic that a GPU can do and instead focus on some very specific smaller instruction sets that have a lot either have much more ability to go off die than a standard GPU. Other and other improvements sort of like that where we just we took a GPU and we made it a lot better at mining cryptocurrency in general. And so it's still a it is I guess a good way to think about it is a cryptocurrency GPU. But instead of being made by NVIDIA, it's made by a single manufacturer, you know, like Bitmain, that can target a wide range of altcoins. So I would not look at it as an FPGA because it's definitely not. It's a it's a cryptocurrency GPU that's only made by one manufacturer. Interesting. Haven't heard much about that before, but definitely sounds like a could be a large improvement over over some of the existing hardware. This this is great to wrap, David. This has been a awesome uh, episode where can people you know people can read the piece uh, as it comes out but where can people learn more about zia or or what you're up to or stay tuned for for what's upcoming any last minute plugs yeah we post a lot of our major news to blog.sia.tech but the the best way to like get into the sia ecosystem is uh to join our discord so that would be discord.gg slash sia or sia and yeah we'd, we'd love to see you know more people swing by our discord Cool. Dave, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a fantastic podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 